have you ever had anyone uh, say something to you where you had to do a little bit of a double take? And it's almost like, um, I think I heard what you said, but what did you just say? Um, and then you think about it sometimes, and you're like, that's not a small thing. There's actually some dominoes, there's some ripple effects of what you said just there. And the phrase that comes to mind when sometimes a person will say that is exactly that. What did you just say? It's almost like, I think I heard you, but I'm not really quite sure. Um, I will never, ever forget telling my wife, uh, who was my girlfriend at the time. Well, actually, she wasn't my girlfriend. I wanted her to be my girlfriend, uh, that I liked her. Just that I liked her. It wasn't even the, the L-bomb. It wasn't the love word. It was the like word. And, uh, and you, you put it out there, and I saw that look on her face. It was like, what did you just say? And then you, you, know, you wait in anticipation, and she said it back to me, and I was like trying to play it all. That's cool. But inside, I was doing an Irish jig or something like that. But it's that, you know, what, what did you just say moment. Uh, and sometimes um, you can hear things that are very hard, very difficult, very painful. And then sometimes there are things that are, are just joyful. Uh, maybe some of you have experienced this. Uh, you know, mommy and daddy are, are getting a divorce. And it's like, man, I, I think I heard that, but I, I, what did you just say? Uh, we're we're going to have to let you go. And you did not see that coming. Excuse me, what did you just say? And then sometimes it can be really positive and it can be wonderful. Um, you know, your, your offer was accepted on that house. Oh, man, that's great. Uh, you know, we'd like to offer you the job. Uh, we're having a baby. And you're like, oh, that's amazing news. We've all had these moments, of course, when you hear somebody else say something that are shocking. But then, of course, sometimes it's not somebody else. Sometimes it's you. You're like, stuff comes out of your own mouth. You're in a conversation with your wife, and your brain just goes on vacation for a moment, and you look at her and you say, well, you're just like your mother. And, and, and in that moment, it's not, what did you just say? It's, what did I just say? Uh, I'll pack my bags now. I'll be back later. Today, here's what I want to do. I, I just want to show you, like, it's just one or two very succinct statements by Jesus. And I'm not joking you. They are, what did you just say? I mean, I think I heard what you said, Jesus, but hang on a second. There's ripple effects. There's dominoes to that. And what you're going to see is like some of these, little, just these little statements. Like there are some people who got so ticked off, so angry at Jesus. And then there are other people who are listening to him going, oh, if that's true, in a wonderful way, I think that changes everything for me. Everything. And this is what Jesus is doing. And in this series in particular, we are pointing out again and again, Jesus going against the grain. He is coming face to face with the way that people think and the way that people understand and stuff that they've been told and that they're comfortable with because this is what they were told when they were children. And Jesus is coming and he's like, yeah, I'm changing all of that. And I'm bringing and I'm introducing something very new. And people are somewhat flabbergasted and taken aback by all that he's doing. And today I want to show you a few statements that caused everyone to respond with this exact same thing. Hang on a second. What, what did you just say? Now what I want to do is I want to keep you curious for just a minute or two. Because I'd like to set this up in such a way that really when you hear these statements, we maybe grasp a sense of the weight uh, behind the words that he said and the impact of what Jesus is just about to say. 
Jesus just keeps doing new stuff all the time. He keeps challenging the status quo. He, is all, he seems to be just waking up in the morning, I'm off to ministry, and I'm going to go against the grain of what everyone thinks is normal. I think Jesus is deliberately being subversive deliberately on purpose you would think he might want to give himself a day off because it's not easy but he doesn't seem to do that again and again miracles conversations scenarios where he's like yeah i'm just going to do everything that turns it all upside down on everyone who's around me i think there was tension around the ministry of jesus christ perhaps more so particularly as i've been studying over the last few weeks more so than i've ever understood before just tension so often when he went to different places Let me give you small examples. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. Already Jesus is touching on extremely sensitive subjects. And so I would love for us to realize, and we probably have some understanding of this, but Jesus is talking to a culture and a group of people who are deeply, deeply religious. This is not, not any country in the world. And for them, man, they have the law, right? The Old Testament law, this is Moses. They have the prophets, and they have the temple. And these three things, the law, the prophets, and the temple, are, I mean, literally sacred to them in every way. They mean so, so much. There's a sense in which they look at the law and the prophets and the temple, and then they look at each other and they say, that's us. Like, that's our country. That's our people. That's our nationalism. That's us being patriotic. The law and the prophets in the temple. There's, that's so important. That represents for us our history and our heritage. That's our past and our present. And it will be our future. They're hanging on every word that Jesus says. And he brings up these exact things. And it's almost like they're sitting on the edge of their seat. They're like, you, you better not go there. What are you going to say about these things that are incredibly important to us. So same verse, but let me show you where he finishes it. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them. And then he says this, I've come to fulfill them. Well, what does that mean, Jesus? What, what are we supposed to make of that? Matthew chapter 7, verse 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teachings Because he taught as someone who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So there is a gravitas. There is a weight to when Jesus speaks these things. Sounds a whole lot like maybe some of the things we've heard some other teachers and rabbis say, but this this is also different. Jesus, you're not going around and just saying stuff and and changing stuff and doing stuff. You, You keep doing that. We're not so sure that you're allowed to do that, Jesus. We're not so sure that you're allowed to bring up these topics and kind of push our buttons on this a little bit. We're not so sure that you should be changing them. In fact, we think they're fine that the way way they are. Do you really have the authority to do that? I mean, some of the stuff that you're talking about. I'm not sure Moses would agree with you. I mean, Moses. And Moses is a man. I mean, we love Moses. Moses is the law. He came down from the mountain. He's got the tablets. That's nobody tops Moses. Jesus, do you really have the authority to replace everything that Moses has put in place? Jesus, do you really have the authority to replace everything that Solomon put in place around the temple? Pastor Aaron was preaching last week this statement, you have heard it said, 
Like rabbis would talk like this all the time. People are like, yeah, he's going to quote Moses. He's going to quote the law. Great, we love Moses. We love the law. We're all about that. That's our identity. That's our nationalism. We believe it. We know it. We've got the stuff memorized. You have heard it said, and then the rabbi would say, they would quote Moses. That should be the end of the sentence, period. And then Jesus says, but I say unto you, wait a second. No, 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 no. You don't get to give another interpretation on that. That's done. That's over. Exclamation mark at the end of that sentence. Jesus is going somewhere further with it. One day, the disciples are walking with Jesus. And there's a crowd of people, as there seem to be so regularly. And there's Pharisees hovering around. And it seems like they were always just trying to get at Jesus, trying to challenge him. And his disciples are hungry. This situation is so ridiculous. It's just silly. They're hungry. They're walking past this field, and they pick a few heads of grain. Just, they just grab it with their hands. They smush it in their hands, and they pop it in their mouth. And the Pharisees are like vultures. Gotcha. You can't do that. Now, you and I are like, what's the big deal? What could possibly be wrong with something as innocent as just putting some grain in your mouth. And what they're saying is, you've actually broken a law. Today is the Sabbath. It says we're not allowed to work. And that's, this is ridiculous, right? That's work. You've harvested. Silly, just silly stuff. They're blaming them for working on the Sabbath. And that was the day when you were supposed to rest. The word for this in theology is stupidology. So here's the problem, and maybe some of you have experienced this. Listen to these words from an author. It's easy to love your religion more than you do the people for whom that religion was given. That's what's going on right there. Let me just say that one more time. It's easy to love your religion more than you do the people for whom your religion was given. And these guys are leaning in on legalistic minutia rules, and they're shoving shoving it in people's faces. And if you and I are not careful, and maybe you've seen this and experienced this, maybe you've done this, or maybe you've been on the receiving end of this, you can hurt people with your religion. And it's actually a misrepresentation. It's not the way it was supposed to be. And then you wonder, I wonder why nobody wants anything to do with my religion. Well, it's because you just hurt them with the very thing that was supposed to help them. And round and round it goes. Some of you have given up on religion and you've given up on church because you've bumped into the kinds of people who love their church and love their religion more than they loved you. That's not the way it's supposed to be. And this bickering starts up in this ridiculous, silly situation because the disciples are eating a bit of grain from the field. It's unlawful. You can't do that. Why are you doing that? And then Jesus comes out with a handful of against the grain, pardon the pun. Some of you will get that on the way home. (laughs) He comes out with two very much against the grain statements right here. Two, what did you just say? Statements. So brace yourself. Remember, Jesus, don't mess with the law, don't mess with the prophets, and don't mess with the temple. We know what that means to us. Here's what he says, Mark chapter 2, verse 27. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. 
and their heads. Right there, that statement. You can't say that. No. You can't say that that rule doesn't become a master and we become slaves. And they just hate it. Jesus, that's the law. That's the law. You can't change the law. No, you can't say that. It's all about the rules, Jesus. You have to keep the rules. It's the law. Who do you think you are to say such a thing? You're not allowed to speak like that, Jesus. Don't do it. He just undermined the law. He just undermined their understanding of the law. And he's not done. Jesus comes out with another massive statement that would leave them reeling. In the middle of the exact same scenario, this ridiculous thing about picking some grain off the side of a field, then Jesus, just a minute or two later in the conversation, he comes out with another statement. And here it is, Matthew chapter 12. It changes the subject ever so slightly. He says, I tell you, one greater than the temple is here. (laughs) They're ready to string him up. What did you just say? Are you referring to you? Are you you trying to tell us that you are greater than the temple? One greater than the temple is here. You can't say that. Nobody's greater than the temple. You're undermining the law, and now you're undermining the temple. To declare yourself greater than the temple is either arrogance, or it is ignorance, or it is insanity, but it is certainly blasphemy. It's blasphemy. Now, you and I sitting here, what's the big deal? Temple, okay, it's a building. Nope. We're not just talking about a local synagogue. This is the temple. This is the centerpiece of Jerusalem. If any object symbolized and identified Judaism and the nation of Israel, it was probably this structure. And it is beautiful. I mean, it is, it is a wonder. If any object represents their rich history. And not only that, but it represents the activity of God over them as, the, as God's chosen people. It was the temple. And then probably the greatest thing that I can say about it is more than anything else, it represented for them the very presence of God on the planet Earth. That's what the temple was. You would be walking through the door thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, the God of the universe is in this building. You'd go in there kind of trembling a little bit. And it is the centerpiece of their religious system. It was the system in which God had given them to find forgiveness for their sins. They called it the sacrificial system. And to that very day when Jesus was right there speaking to them and saying, one greater than the temple is here, this was a place in which the entire nation had all of their festivals, all their rituals, all their sacrifices, all their worship, every bird, lamb, goat, oxen, every animal that was slaughtered as a substitute for their sin took place. The actual physical spilling of blood was done in that place. It was originally built by a guy by the name of Solomon, King Solomon. And the scale of it was off the charts. The detail, 
of this temple was astonishing. The sheer quantity of gold and silver and bronze and the skilled tradesmen and stonecutters and the woods that were chosen and the incense and basins and tables and lampstands and there was blue and purple and scarlet cloths and rubies and sapphires and jasper and onyx. There's just chapters and chapters of this in the Old Testament. Honestly, the modern day cost to, to invest or to build a, a, a structure like this would have certainly been in the hundreds of millions, maybe billions to build something like this today. The site itself is on what's called the Temple Mount. So you get the temple that is on the Temple Mount. It's, it's this rise uh, in, in Jerusalem. And it's about 37 acres. Roughly, roughly speaking, it's, it's with the building and all the courtyards and inner rooms and outer rooms, you're looking at something around the size of about 35 uh, football fields. And the building itself is close to 100 feet high, which is massive. It's the centerpiece of their country. And inside this incredible, beautiful, rich, laden, golden, jewel, all the stuff, is one particular room that is called the Holy of Holies. And that is where they kept the Ark of the Covenant, this golden box with two rods on either side. It was the centerpiece, and it carried with it the presence of God, and it contained inside of it the original tablets from Moses that came down from Mount Sinai, and a pot of manna, and a staff that belonged to the high priest Aaron, who was Moses' right-hand man. And then in modern-day Jerusalem, their current high priest would walk into that room on one day of the year to atone for the sins of the country. And they would put a rope around his waist so that if he dropped dead in the presence of God, they could pull him out without having to go into that room. This is not your average little building. This is an unbelievable place. And then the unimaginable thing happened in their history. Israel became so disobedient and they did not listen to the prophets and prophets and prophets that God gave them and warned them and asked them to turn back from their sins. And they got God's judgment upon them as a nation. And in their obstinate rebellion, their entire nation is wiped out by an empire by the name of, Bab by the name of Babylon. And Babylon come in and they strip that temple and they take every penny that they can out of it. They strip all of the gold and silver and bronze, all of the rubies, all of the jewels, and the nation of Israel are brought into slavery. And the prophet Jeremiah said, he sat down by the river of Babylon and he just wept. And their temple is somewhat destroyed. Over the course of time, Babylon, they, they fade and actually the Persian Empire take over. And after a period of time, the Persian Empire basically say to this Hebrew people, why don't you go back to your country? Just go back. We, we don't need you in slavery anymore. And they allow them. They permit them to go back to the nation of Israel. And they rebuild a temple. But this temple is much, much smaller. It has been robbed of its riches and its gold. It's a much smaller building. The Persians would not allow them to build it back to its former glory. But nonetheless, it is rebuilt. History simply calls this quite kind of rudimentary word. It's called the second temple. Years and years go by, and then we get to Jesus' ministry, and we bump into a guy by the name of Herod, who has more money than he knows what to do with. And in an attempt to appease this Hebrew people, and to get along with these Jews, he actually spends a fortune, and he enlarges the temple, and brings it back to a magnificent scale. And the nation is delighted. I mean, they're just elated. And one of the features of this temple that was so outstanding was these absolutely massive quarried stone, these cut stone. Some of them were 45 feet in length. Fabulous, fabulous stuff. 
The sheer tonnage and craftsmanship was outstanding. How they were physically moved and placed into that structure is an architectural and construction masterpiece. And Jesus comes along and he looks at this phenomenal building and he says the words, one greater than this temple is coming. This temple was so valued, so important, that Jewish people would die to defend it. About seven years after Jesus speaks these words, we read in history, there's an emperor, an emperor by the name of Caligula, and he actually shipped a statue of himself that he wanted to have placed inside the temple. So he's picking a fight. That's what he's doing. Look at the response of the Jewish people. They go to the docks where the statue is about to be received and then transported to Jerusalem. There's a governor of Syria right there, a guy by the name of Petronius. And he had a legion of soldiers with him at the dock to receive the statue because he knew this was going to be a fight. And when he threatened violence upon the thousands of Jewish men who had showed up, here's what they did. They fell down on their knees. They pulled up their cloaks. They exposed their necks. And they said, we are ready for Rome to slay us rather than this statue to go into our temple and our temple would be desecrated. Kill us. Thousands of men. That's how much it meant. Looking at this casual conversation a little later, very innocent conversation. Jesus is with his disciples on another occasion. They are literally just walking past the temple. And just to show you how much it means to them. I don't know if you've ever been, I'm sure you have, where you've been out in a beautiful place and you're like, oh, we have to just pull over the car. Look at this view. You're like, it's just beautiful scenic view. And you, and you want to share that with somebody. That's what happens with Jesus and the disciples. Hey, Jesus, wait a second. Just look at the temple. Luke chapter 21, some of the disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with such beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. So it's a really innocent conversation with Jesus. Here's basically what's happening. They're walking by the temple and the disciples come up to Jesus and say, Hey, Jesus, look at the temple. Isn't it just a beautiful building? That's all it was, innocent stuff. Like, we're so proud of it. I mean, Jesus, look at this temple. I mean, that's us. That's us. That's our people right there. Look at that building. That's incredible. That's our heritage. It's our history. And you might think Jesus would say something very nice because it's an innocent conversation. Oh, you're right. The temple looks great, man. Look at that. The sun is just falling on it so nicely. <laughs> nope. Look what Jesus says. Verse 6. And Jesus says, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another and every one of them will be thrown down. What did you just say? Don't mess with the law or the prophets or the temple. What did you just say? This whole thing's going to fall apart? That's impossible. Firstly, Jesus... I don't think there's a force on the planet Earth that could move those stones. I don't even know what could move them an inch. And you're going to tell me right now that the whole thing is going to be torn down. Don't miss what Jesus is doing. Jesus is saying, I am here to do something new. 
No longer will you be obsessed with a building. No longer will the presence of God be contained in a box in a room for one man to enter into one time a year, shaking to his boots that he's going to die in the presence of God. I'm doing something new. You're not going to believe where the presence of God is going. You're not going to believe where the presence of God is going. And I'll talk to you about that in just a moment. No longer will worship be centered around the slaughtering of animals again and again and again and again. This is an unstoppable thing. I've actually come to change all of that. I'm greater than the temple, and the day is coming when these immovable, massive stone blocks will be in pieces at the floor and the valley of the temple mount. Right below it. But there's no force on earth that's going to move those blocks. I'm, I'm telling you right now, those blocks are earthquake-proof. They are hurricane-proof. We could get a hundred biggest lads that we have at community church in any of our campuses and give them a year, and they wouldn't make a dent. It's huge. But Jesus is forecasting. Jesus is foretelling. Jesus is prophesying. Jesus is publicly predicting that every one of those stones will be pulled down. And it is a staggering statement. But the disciples, they heard him. They didn't want to believe it because they loved the temple. But they had to take it seriously. Why? Because they saw Jesus heal blind people and deaf people and feed 5,000 people and 4,000 people with a kid's lunch. They saw Jesus drive out demons. They saw Jesus raise a dead man back to life. And so they pull Jesus aside because they can't stop thinking about it. Are you serious? Luke chapter 21. Hey, teacher, they asked. When's this going to happen? Are you serious? When will these things happen? And history records for us that in the year 70 AD, there was another Jewish zealot revolt against Rome, and it was bad. And Rome were ticked off. And Rome came into Jerusalem. They were probably the only destructive force powerful enough on the planet Earth to do this. And they tore that temple down. They pulled down every stone and landed in the valley. And history records that what Jesus predicted came to pass perfectly. And the gospel writers, they wrote these words before they saw what happened. They recorded Christ's prophecy knowing that what Jesus said would take place. I got on a plane years ago. And I landed in Tel Aviv. And I went to Jerusalem. And I went to this very spot right there. And it's very difficult to tell the scale. I'm not joking you. Some of those rocks are the size of small cars. They're huge. And I stood right there. And I thought to myself, this is what Jesus said. I'm standing in the place where he said it would happen. What does all this mean? Church, what is Jesus doing? Why does he keep saying all of these, what did you just say, statements? 
two things, two new things that Jesus was introducing that he wants to speak to you today. Number one, stop hurting people with your religion. Amen? Stop hurting people with your religion. Nobody wants anything to do with that kind of religion. The Sabbath was made for man. And the way sometimes, and you've seen this, sometimes we've done it, we are exacting and we are touting our religious rules that actually go against the heart behind those very rules. It's actually a misrepresentation. People, listen to me. The church at large has done this and is still doing this to this day, demanding behavior modification before you can be received into the family. And it's not from the heart of God at all. Demanding behavior modification before we will say yes to you. Change. You have to change. The church is saying, if you can abide by what you don't know, but what we do know is our set of standards about how you're supposed to talk, look, dress, speak, behave, treat other people, do certain things. And if you can get all that in order, if you can get your sexuality in order, if you can stop smoking and stop swearing, if you can get all of that, well then maybe, maybe we'll let you be a part of our club. And here's the thing. The Pharisees did this more than anyone else. They were convinced that they were right. They really thought that. They ended up glorifying God's rules instead of glorifying God. In fact, they made God's rules to be their God. And it seemed like the right thing to do, but they were crushing people. A community church, our number one value is unconditional love. And yes, absolutely, God convicts of sin, and sin is a reality in my life and in your life. Yes, absolutely, God calls us to live a holy life. But if we fail to love people, but we only succeed in parading our church policies and our Christian fine print, I'm telling you right now, we will have lost the day. And I've done this. I have personally done this. I have brought people to church. I have, in an attempt to introduce people to Jesus Christ, I have walked them through the doors whilst at the same time saying, you know, you really ought to change this thing about yourself. And I meant well, and I thought I was doing the right thing. Only God has the power to change people, not me. And God will change them, and he will make them more like Jesus Christ. Put your religion down. It's not a weapon. The second challenge I love is simply this. God's presence is now portable. And this is a massive shift. I just love this. He says, I'm greater than the temple. In fact, look, I know you love that building. I know you love it. I know you admire it. I know how much it means to you. But yeah, I'm going to reduce it to rubble. <laughs> I know it means a lot to you, but I'm going to crumble it. I'm going to put my foot on it, and I'm actually going to use a Roman army to do my bidding. They don't know it, but it's actually my agenda. So then, where's the presence of God today? Where do we worship? Where do we find forgiveness of sins? Jesus, you're changing everything that we know and that we're comfortable with and that we understand, and Jesus is going, yes, that's exactly what I'm doing. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Amen? Yeah. 
Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Praise God for that. Look at you. Look at you sitting there, all presence of God, the lot of you. Look at you, St. John's, Alma, everyone online, Mount Pleasant. Look at you filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a great thing. You guys are looking great today. Look at you, the Holy of Holies. I don't know if you know this. The walking presence of God, the blessings of the Ark of the Covenant, now walking and talking and smiling and laughing and singing and filled with joy and peace and wonder. You are the temple of the living God and now you walk into Meyer or Kroger or Beltire and you're carrying with you the authority of Jesus Christ. You're walking into your office and you're carrying with you the meekness of Jesus Christ. You're walking in to your friend's house and you're carrying with you the glory of the Creator and it's in your kitchen and your classroom and your dorm and your backyard and your office and your car, you are the portable presence of God moving around central Michigan. Church, you're not your own. You were bought at a price. You are the light of the world. Let's pray together. Jesus, I just want to say to you today, we think you are an amazing leader. We don't know any other leader like you. So thank you for doing a new work. Thank you for your earthly ministry that was filled with tension, that made people uncomfortable and got under people's skin. None of that is easy, and you did it day in and day out. And still to this very day right here, you're doing the same thing. Following you is not a stagnant thing. You are making me new. You are making us new. So Jesus, we repent today of misusing our faith. We repent of leveraging religion at people to subtly or maybe overtly make them jump through hoops of our own invention. Jesus, you never did that to us. We just missed the bar by a long shot and then you just extended grace. I pray that we would be better at love than we are at religion. Lastly, I pray that we would carry the presence of God so well. As we leave this day, as we go about this upcoming week, that we would represent you so well with our words, with our treatment of people, our reactions, our responses, because we are temples of the Holy Spirit. What an honor to carry your presence into dark places. We give you praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Church, I love you. God bless. Have a wonderful week.